Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Aron. And I'm Nicole. And today, does eating late make you fat? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 116 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a brand new study that just came out, I think a week, maybe two weeks ago now, October 4th, the study came out and it was a solid study out of Harvard published in the Journal of Cell Metabolism entitled Late Isocaloric Eating Increases Hunger decreases energy expenditure, and modifies metabolic pathways in adults with overweight and obesity. So I wanted to, Nicole, I wanted to get on today. I wanted to, I was excited reading this article because um, A, I'm a nerd and I'm excited reading research, but B, um, it was a very well done study and it gives us a lot of insight. And to be honest, it changed my mind. It was kind of a whirlwind for me. It changed my mind. And if you would have asked me the question, I'm probably still going to say the same answer. Does eating late make you fat? I'm not going to give you my answer right now. Um, but I, I, I'm going to change. I would change the context in which I think about it. And I think I would change kind of the evolutionary context in terms of how the body evolved and how the body currently works based on, you know, how we used to live and how we live now. So we'll put some context on it. We'll go over the study. It's a really well done study. It's a very small study, but uh, they accounted for, it's only 16 subjects, both men and women. They were, it says overweight and obese, but the average, um, the average BMI was like about 28 point something. And that's, overweight, not really obese. So we're going to say overweight individuals. Uh, it's only 16 people, but it was very tightly controlled. And the study accounted for many of the confounding variables that may have had an impact on the study results. So let's get into it. The study aimed to test three different hypotheses regarding the mechanisms by which late eating may promote positive energy balance. And essentially what we're looking at when we talk about positive energy balance, that just means basically a, a calorie surplus, right? So it'll promote you being in a surplus. A negative energy balance is I'm consuming less calories than I'm expending. Therefore, you know, that would be like a weight loss scenario, right? So to put that into context, positive energy balance is I'm eating more energy than I'm burning and a negative energy balance is I'm eating less energy than I'm burning. One would lead to weight gain. The mm -hmm. other would lean, lead to weight loss. And the context of this study is basically kind of like an obesity study where we're looking at, okay, what are some of the factors that cause or contribute to mm -hmm. obesity? We know that we have a rampant obesity epidemic, and it's not just in the US. It's in uh, regions all across the world. In fact, China is actually surpassing us in the obesity epidemic right now, which is interesting because we are Western culture. And they have adopted Western culture, but now they're surpassing us. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of an interesting dynamic to think about. And as nations become more, more, more Westernized, 
in their eating habits, they become heavier, more overweight and more obese. They become more sedentary. Yeah. They sleep less. They're stressed more. There are a lot of factors that go into why people are gaining weight. We can talk about hormonal factors. There are so many different things. Now, this study specifically went into time of day of eating, and there were three thoughts. And the three thoughts were that eating later in the day may have an impact on weight gain by number one, increasing hunger. And we'll get into the reasons why. Number two, decreasing energy expenditure. So the amount of calories or energy that you burn throughout the day. And number three, molecular changes favoring fat storage. And there are some genetic expression involved in that. And we're going to get into that as well. So the way the study was designed is you had 16 subjects and there were two different eating protocols in the study. There was an early eating protocol, which had individuals eating at 8 a.m., 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. And then there was a later eating protocol in which individuals ate at 12 p.m., 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. So there was a four-hour difference in terms of like the later group, they started eating four hours later, 8 a.m. versus 12 p.m., and they stopped eating four hours later. So the whole day was just basically pushed four hours yeah, shifted later, which there's, there's going to be some kind of, uh, I think, some intermittent fasting implications here, which I'll talk about in terms of the way that people do intermittent fasting. And Nicole's kind of giving me a eyebrow here, but we'll talk <laughs> about that. And then you can give me your thoughts, obviously. OK, OK. So the subjects were matched for and this is where we kind of looked at confounding variables that could have affected the results. They were matched. For, they were eating the same exact food, the same exact calories, the same exact macros and their sleeping patterns and their circadian rhythm was uh, kind of equated for and balanced prior to going into the study. Mm -hmm. So they had the same sleeping patterns. They slept the same amount. And what the study essentially looked at is not necessarily the results looking at it from a standpoint of what time of day you're waking up. It's actually just looking at it from circadian rhythm and just you as being a natural human being. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the results of the study. The results of the subjective hunger scales which you basically you give people a questionnaire and then subjectively they say, OK, like, are you more hungry? Are you like on a scale of one to ten? Are you more hungry, mm -hmm. less hungry? The subjective hunger scale showed that late eating doubled the odds of being hungry. And this was also shown in suppression of leptin because the study also measured 24 hour leptin levels. You might ask, what is leptin and what does leptin do? So leptin is a hormone that's produced by your fat cells to tell you that you're full and that you shouldn't eat, right? So if you have, theoretically, if you have more fat storage, your body says, hey, we've got enough, you know, just eat less food, eat less mm -hmm. calories. So 24-hour leptin was suppressed. 24-hour leptin wasn't suppressed to a statistically significant number in, in which what that kind of means in the research is that, you know, can we reproduce this result? We don't really know. It's not really statistically significant. So you know, we don't really look at that by itself. But when we do look at the ratio between leptin and ghrelin, ghrelin is another hormone that controls appetite. Ghrelin is actually produced in your stomach by the cells in your stomach when you're hungry and tells you to eat, right? So when your stomach is empty, ghrelin is released to tell you to eat more food, right? So leptin tells you to stop eating. Ghrelin tells you to eat more. And if you have an imbalance in the ratio of those, mm -hmm. that's going to lead to more hunger. So the ratio was actually statistically significant 
between the ratio of the leptin and the ghrelin. And subjects tended to, I mean, this shows in the questionnaires, right? Subjects tended to say, like, I am, I'm hungry, right? They felt it. Now, in a normal circumstance, if this wasn't controlled for, this could be why people may overeat, is that Mm -hmm. if you're eating later in the day, this is going to push you to eat more calories, but because it was controlled for, and again, we don't have information on like weight differences, right? What I would like to see is differences and changes in weight Mm -hmm. between groups. I think the study would have to be a little bit longer to view that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, overall, I want to see if the changes going on in your body are going to affect your weight in the long term. So still to be determined. Now, the study also showed a reduction in waking energy expenditure by an average of about 60 calories per day. And the researchers also observed a decrease in 24-hour core body temperature in the late eating group. Now, the energy expenditure can kind of somewhat be accounted for in the leptin because outside of leptin just decreasing hunger, leptin almost kind of acts similar to thyroid hormone where thyroid controls your metabolic rate. Leptin does the same thing, right? So the presence of leptin increases your metabolic rate. So if you have suppression of leptin, your metabolism is going to be basically a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. Um, And then core body temperature is also going to cue you into if your core body temperature is lower then you're burning less calories. Now, they had a reduction in caloric expenditure that was measured by indirect calorimetry, which is the gold standard for measuring uh, your caloric expenditure, but they only did it during the 16 waking hours. So the that number 60 calories is just within those 16 waking hours. So we don't have data on while they were sleeping, how much was metabolic rates suppressed. So it could be 75, it could be 80, it could be 100 calories. But as far as we know, it's 60 calories daily. Now, if I did that math for you, just to put that in perspective, 60 times 365, and that's on the low end, keep in mind, because we're we're not accounting for the while you're sleeping, the energy expenditure. But over the course of a year, that's 21,900 calories. Of, of suppression, right? So let's say theoretically you're eating at maintenance, but you're eating later in the day and your metabolic rate is suppressed, 60 calories less per day over the course of a year. That's 21,900 calories divided by 3,500. Let's say you're eating consistently in maintenance calories and you suppress by 60 calories. So 60 calories, basically, I guess, below maintenance mm-hmm. is, is that, that extra that you're burning. That's 6.25 pounds of fat because it's 3,500 calories and a pound of fat, right? That's 6.25 pounds of fat per year that you're putting on. Now, that over the course of 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, that's how somebody gets obese, mm-hmm. right? So with that being said, that's, you know, 60 calories doesn't sound like a lot, but 60 calories cumulative is mm-hmm. a lot. In addition, what we find here is some mechanistic data that shows that there's a downregulation in genes that are responsible for breaking down fat and using it for energy. And there's an upregulation in genes involved in fat storage. There are going to be like, we need further studies to determine whether or not this actually equates to decreases in fatty acid breakdown and actual increases 
in fat storage. And this is where I got kind of got into like, Hey, we need to see like, are these people actually gaining weight? So some of this is kind of preliminary preliminary. We have seen this in mice. We've seen some mixed results, but this study is a pretty solid study. And if you would have asked me six months ago or a year ago, well, I'm concerned about eating at night. I would have said there's nothing for absolutely no data and there's nothing to worry about in terms of eating at night. But I do want to put some context on this, Nicole, and and I want you to kind of chime in on the context, too, because I know Mm -hmm. it's super important to put context on like where this fits. And, And I'll say this, because even the study says, according to the researchers, while these changes are adaptive in the face of a negative energy balance, they appear to be maladaptive when meal timing is delayed while the 24 hour energy intake is clamped. And what that means is if you're eating in maintenance calories, you're going to have this maladaptive thing going on where you are likely to be storing more fat and not releasing fat and not freeing it up. However, if you're in negative energy balance, that change, you're kind of adapting to that, right? So for example, let me kind of phrase it like this. I'm not going to change my eating habits based like I I get out of class late and Nicole, you and I talked about this, right? So I get out of class at 915. By the time I get home, by the time I have a meal, it's like 1030, 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop doing that because it's not conducive to my lifestyle. And I'm currently in a calorie deficit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm at 2,800 calories a day. Mm-hmm. If theoretically my maintenance calories with all my training and everything I do is 3,300 30, calories a day and I'm at a 500 calorie deficit, in that 500 calorie deficit, that still equates to more than the 60 calorie that we're talking about, right? So that's not going to be enough for me to say, well, like I, I'm not going to lose weight and I'm not going to be able to lose body fat by eating later at night. It's just going to be a contributing factor. I mean, it's only 16 people in this study. That's the first thing that I want to bring up. 16 people is nothing. Well, 16 people is nothing. But in the context of a study like this, it is something right because it's it's uh, is it? Yeah, because of the way the study was done. I think it's I think it is. Listen, I'm always going to say further further research needs to be done. Obviously, I just think 16 versus everybody in the world is well, more research needs to be done. But this is the beginning of. Yeah, it's the first step into more information. I will give you that. Right. What we do is we get I mean, you also have to realize like context is. Oh, well, why the hell would they only do 16? Right. That's what somebody might ask listening to this. And Mm -hmm. the reality is like you have to look at funding and how expensive a study like this where you're providing them their food. Yeah. Yeah. Putting them in a sleep lab. You're testing all these things. Right. Randomized controlled trials are very expensive. Yeah. But with a study like this moving forward, it's like, oh, wow, these are fascinating results. We need to study this further. We need to have larger groups of people, larger cohorts. Yeah. And then they dive deeper. Great. Go ahead and dive. I'm just going to sit here and eat my dinner at 8 p.m. <laughs> well, listen, I am too. I regardless, mean, like, right? We have to look at lifestyle factors too. And this is where yeah. we get into sustainability, right? Is is this going to be feasible for you? Now, where I wanted to get into the intermittent fasting thing is the way that normally I see that people do intermittent fasting is they do a fast in the morning. So they'll just extend yeah, their fast. They'll eat later evening. in the day. And they'll eat later in the day and they'll say, okay, metabolic autophagy and all these things, right? Which first and foremost, Mm -hmm. I'll say, if you're in a calorie deficit, you're producing metabolic autophagy. And we've talked about this on the show, Nicole, is that 
intermittent fasting is a way to create a calorie deficit and the calorie deficit is what creates metabolic autophagy. So it is somewhat healthy yeah. for you to just eat less food. And we know from lots and lots of research over years and years and years, I had a professor in undergrad that had said this. The one definitive thing that we know is that people that overeat don't live as long as people that undereat, right? Mm -hmm. So if you eat less calories and less food, you, you end up living longer, right? So calorie deficit is king when it comes to anything, even if we're talking about eating later in the day. But what yeah. my point is with the fasting stuff is maybe if you're going to fast to create a calorie deficit for yourself, mm -hmm. and that's the route that you want to take to get there, it might actually, according to this study, at least be more beneficial for you to have your fast leading up to the time that you go to sleep instead of extending the fast in the morning after. Right. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, it's interesting that the one group the or the quote unquote group that ate early, like when you say early, like what was it? 8 a.m., 12 and 5, right? Was that the hours? Uh, 8, 12 and 4. 8, 12 and 4. Well, you say eat early. To me, that, that's not eating early. That's eating what normal people should be eating. 8 a.m. is breakfast. 12 is. But and you, you heard me. We talked about this in another podcast. There's a window of morning, afternoon and evening, like within a window of breakfast, lunch and dinner. But 8, 12 and 4 is what I grew up. That was what I grew up eating at, you know, before school was probably like 715 Lunch was between 1130 and 1215 at school. And then dinner was between five and six at home. Like, I know it sounds silly for me to say, but that to me doesn't sound like early eating. It's just it's just earlier than the 12, five and eight or whatever the other hours are. So, you know, when we talk about timing for food, I always tell people like breakfast, lunch and dinner is not something that's just kind of sort of a made up thing. We know based off of how our body functions and our circadian rhythms and lifestyle that those are general guidelines of when to eat. Now, we talk about early when you say early eating to me, that would be someone like myself that wakes up and goes to work at five in the morning. And my lunch is like 11 and my you know dinner is like between three and four. But that doesn't mean I don't eat after three or four. Like I have snacks at night, but I may have a bigger window in between my 12 o'clock or 11 o'clock lunch and my dinner at five or six and I have a snack in between pre and post workout like so much of this based off of the lifestyle that they're living this is an obese population so clearly they have weight to lose versus someone or people like us that are gym goers and are leaner and are, that's going to be a very different experience so then we get into like you brought up and this is kind of one of the I guess one of the maybe, you know, conf I don't know if I'd call it a confounding variable, but it is a variable that we need to account for is we're talking about overweight, inactive, right? Yeah. They didn't really account for activity. Is this the same in active individuals would be a question of mine. Because um, yeah, the, well, we don't know, but the majority. No, the, but, but I'm I, just but, saying like, but I'll tell you what we do know. What we do know is the majority of people listening to this podcast are active individuals. So this may or may not apply to you. That's first and foremost. The second thing that I'd say, Nicole, is about, you know, what I thought about from what you said is the 8 a.m., 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Like, what if it was 6 a.m.? And what if it was 5 p.m. or 6 p.m.? Like, where's that threshold? Now, mm -hmm. what I'll say is, and you brought up the circadian rhythm, which I, I kind of forgot to touch up on, is 
or I did kind of sort of brush up on earlier is it has to do with circadian rhythm and circadian rhythm gets thrown around a lot. And I don't think people understand what that means. Right. So mm-hmm. where we have diurnal and we have nocturnal creatures, mm-hmm. we have like a bat that sleeps upside down in a cave <laughs> in the daytime. Yeah. Right. And then we have humans that we have, we actually have uh, something called clock genes and those clock genes, they work on our circadian rhythm Mm -hmm. within a 24 hour period. So like Mm -hmm. days aren't things that we just made up. Days are things, things that I don't know, we revolve around the sun and the sun goes up and the sun goes down. So it doesn't have to do with like, if you push that out and you said, well, what if I woke up at 11 and my first meal was at 12? It doesn't work like that. What this shows is that it's based on your natural rhythm. Yes. And this is where I get into, and Nicole, you and I have talked about this in, in areas where we've had some difficulty with, a few clients here and there mm-hmm. is shift workers that work yeah. in that late. Sh- what is it? What do we call it? Second shift workers? Is that, is that what it's called? Yeah. Is there a third shift? Is that um, is just first and second shift? I think it's just I've never heard of third shift. But listen, at this I'm point, making that up. anything could be possible. But like and, you know, I have a lot of nurses that work 11 p.m. to 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. type shifts. And the thing about that is that not only is that not a normal shift, but it also it's very interesting how clients that I've had that do shifts like that do adapt some very well, like seven to seven, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. They love it. They thrive. They're they're fit and healthy and they figure out ways to work around the schedule to find the sweet spot for when they work out, what their cycle of food is like. And then I have clients that do the same. A different person does the same shift. And oh, my God, their body is a train wreck. They're not as adaptive to that change and they struggle so hard. So I also think you have to the person, the host, the body and all the other factors around someone that is maybe more sensitive to that type of change um, is a big factor for me. So. Yeah, again, that's where it gets into. (laughs) It depends, right? It depends on the individual, how they're going to be able to handle that shift how they're going to be able to handle those eating patterns. And some people end up being hungry or working those those late night shifts and other yeah. people, uh, you know, it's with food stuff, too. It's uh, it's also behavioral, but I think it's also part genetic with people where they just they have a harder time with their appetite and with their hunger cues mm-hmm. than other people. So you're right. Every individual is going to be completely different. Um, but that listen, when it comes to shift, like, I don't think human beings were meant to work in that way. And I, and I think this is where I bring in like the evolutionary perspective is that I think that if you look at this from a kind of a paleolithic standpoint, it kind it makes sense that we evolved in this way because we didn't have light bulbs and we didn't have lanterns where we kind of like <laughs> lit the candle. Right. And I picture like, uh, I don't know, like, old man like Scrooge or something like walking around yeah. around the house like I don't know, like a Donald Duck. Uh, what is that? Oh, the old um, what is the duck? I, with all, the duck with all the money. The duck. With all the yeah. Yeah. The cartoon duck with the money. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't remember his name, but if anybody remembers his name, just send me a DM. Let me know. But <laughs> um, I picture that like tiptoeing with that. But anyway, mm-hmm. so we didn't have light. And what would happen when we would go to when the sun went down is we'd go to sleep. Right. So it makes sense that we evolved in this way to follow that rhythm. And essentially, you know, I've thought about this, Nicole, when it comes to circadian rhythm, 
it it's it just brings me to and I this I'm gonna get a little woo-woo here. Like yeah, you're going deep. Go ahead. Our interconnectedness with everything around us, right? Like mm-hmm. we think that like we're in control, our ego, right? We we mm-hmm. think that we are just one being that is separate from everything else, but like we're controlled by the sun. We're controlled by the universe, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have control over those things. There's nothing we can do to change those things. So it's just interesting. It kind of makes me think that like you know, there are other things at play that you have to consider, right? You have to consider sunlight, the the value of sunlight. Mm-hmm. The You get vitamin D from the sun. And if you don't get enough sun, you get your deficient vitamin D. And that's not good for your bone health. And that's not good for your hormonal health, your testosterone levels, right? That's not good for uh, your cholesterol, right? Part of what happens with vitamin D is uh, vitamin D is converted from cholesterol, right? So if the sun hits your skin, you're going to absorb the UV rays and you're going to convert cholesterol into vitamin D, you're also going to convert, you know, cholesterol into a bunch of other things. And that vitamin D is going to help you from a hormonal standpoint and from a bone density standpoint. And there are many other things. Your immune system is supported by vitamin D. We saw a lot of information coming out with a lot of correlations and a lot of um, cell studies with COVID and the immune system with Mm -hmm. vitamin D deficiency, right? We saw a lot of Mm -hmm. issues there. So like, there's a lot to be said for circadian rhythm and how we function and that kind of keys us into how we need to be living our lifestyles, in my opinion, yeah. based on what I know. Yeah. I Well, listen, I've been saying this all day today to all my clients. We are fighting against everything that we know authentically we should be doing from a health and wellness standpoint to live lives that really don't support anything that's healthy, like we're plugged into computers, we're plugged into phones, we're on the go, we're rushing around, we're not sleeping, we're not taking time, priorities. Like everything is against what we should be doing from, and I, I'm shitting all over myself right now, but what we should be doing to live a healthy lifestyle. And people are, are going against that, even though their gut instincts are telling them they know they should go to bed early, they're doing one more work email. Even though their gut instincts are telling them, I should sleep in an extra hour, And they're not listening to that. So how are we getting to the obesity levels that we're getting to is because people are running against what I think people really do already know they quote unquote should be doing to live healthy. And they're going against that. We're trying to keep up with lifestyle. And and you talk about carrying a a lamp around to, you know, see in the dark. I mean, I have people that sleep with the lights on because (laughs) like they're doing emails till two in the morning and then they're watching a TV show to keep them up like it's a very different situation of how we're living now. So yeah, while <laughs> a second shift worker is probably not the most optimal from a health standpoint, God, thankful. I'm very thankful to have them. So if I ever end up in the emergency room at 2 a.m. and there's someone there to take care of me, we have people that are doing those jobs and taking care of people from an you know, an emergency situation, anything, anybody that's in that type of shift work, they're doing something that is definitely against what is healthy, but some people really thrive on it. So I'm thankful for the people that do it and are doing a great job at it. But I think we also have to keep in mind that the person that's taking these later, that's eating later in the day, you have to look at the whole picture as to whether or not it is something for you as the individual that is going to create um, more imbalance than balance in your lifestyle. Well, so yeah, that kind of makes me think about like the stress cup that we talk about. Mm-hmm. 
And I think society creates these opportunities to fill that stress cup, right? So for anybody not familiar with the stress cup, we've talked about it on, we've, we haven't talked about it in a while, actually. We talked about it very yeah. early on in this podcast, but um, it's essentially that you have a cup and it's filled with stressors, family stress, uh, let's say blue, in this case, blue light stress, sleep stress, um, you know, stress with your relationships with other people, right? Exercise stress, foods, dietary stress, right? And you're filling up that cup. So I think it's it's for you. We're looking at essentially, and when we look at like disease and stuff like that, we're always looking at, we're weighing risk factors, right? Like yeah. what risk factors does somebody have? And then we're looking at the cumulative effect of these risk factors, right? Like I can say mm -hmm. low fiber intake would be a stress for somebody. And that's a risk mm -hmm. factor for certain diseases like mm -hmm. uh, cardiovascular heart disease. It's a risk factor for um, type two diabetes, it's a risk factor for um, specifically um, can't like colon cancer, right? So in in looking at all of the different risk factors, right? Like what is acceptable for you, and what would you? What do you need to work on? I guess kind of thing is is. Yeah. I'd love to say we can eliminate all risk factors, but well, it's no. kind of it's it's also kind of like the it's the detriment of modern society that there it comes with pros and cons, right? Like so, for example we have computers and we're exposed to blue light all day and all night. But at the same time, we have the world at our fingertips, right? We can, I could pull up this research article from the journal of cell metabolism and I can read it on my computer mm -hmm. and, and I have all this information, which is a positive thing. And I do think overall technology and, yeah. and lights and all the things that we have is a net positive, but we also have to manage our stressors and the stress that's coming in. So, you know, with that being said, I think it's one of those things like you're kind of alluding to, which I think you're alluding to is like, maybe that is a stress for you or maybe that is not an acceptable stress. Yeah, you have to. I, I'm a huge advocate of balance. It's the Libra in me. <laughs> like, I absolutely believe that you have to take the person, the situation, all of the factors of life and figure out where your stressors are coming from and then plug that into our like first of all, are you, is there a goal you're trying to hit? Are you achieving that goal on all aspects of life? And then what stress factors are getting you further away from that goal or closer to that goal? So for this particular study, if you ask me if I think eating late makes you fat, just that sentence alone, my answer is no. But it would depend on all the other layers. I have so many questions then to ask the person that thinks eating late makes you fat. So for me, that to me is so one dimensional. I well, guess. For, yeah, first and foremost, right? It's like you have the person that is avoiding eating late, but still in a calorie surplus. Well, OK, so this is the stuff I wanted to talk about, because, yeah, exactly. Like what I fear with stuff like this is everybody's trying to latch onto the the secret of weight loss, like or the, the, the thing to do. So then I this research paper comes out. People don't understand it. And they start sending it to me because I've I've gotten it for the past two weeks too. see. This is why I can't eat after 6 p.m. See, this is why I shouldn't be doing this. See, this is why I should be fasting. I'm like, that is not at all what this research shows, first and foremost. Second, you're not obese. <laughs> Third, can we please stick to what we're doing currently that's actually working? It's like people are looking at that shiny new penny thing that they're latching onto. So I I just want people to understand that while yes, research is absolutely necessary and extremely important, but you have to take 
take it, look at yourself. Does it apply to you, who you are and what you're doing? And then we go from there. Yeah. I mean, listen, you have to assess like, what are the, like, if you were to make a list of the top 10 habits that you'd like to focus on that you're currently not focusing on eating, like eating later for me, mm-hmm. is not even on my radar for the demographic of people that I'm working with. It's what's on my radar is like we said, are you getting adequate sleep? Are you managing your stress? Right. One of the other things that I, I was going to bring up is that like one of the detriments to, to modern day society is that we have instead of so like we look at a stress response how is the stress response supposed to happen the stress response happens in when you're in danger mm-hmm. right? there's a stressful situation you're being chased by a bear or a lion or a i don't know a dinosaur or whatever right <laughs> so you're being chased and you have to fight for your life and then you have you know your cortisol goes up and then cortisol, mm-hmm. that leads to um you know glu- glucose goes into your bloodstream because you're going to need energy to do these things right and then like that is just a one off one time thing. And then the reality is like when it comes for when it comes to like a from a stress standpoint, we have low grade chronic stress is what we call it. Right. Is that mm-hmm. you have very like a little bit of stress all the time. Yeah. And that is worse for you than the big spurt of stress that you right. would have in nature. Right. So my question to an individual trying to focus on this aspect here where it's like, OK, you're eating late at night, whatever it is. What about your stressors? What about your daily stressors? Because we know that that affects your body and that affects you hormonally too, right? So we have to kind of weigh what are the things that are negatively impacting us and what are the things that we need to do something about right now? And the first thing when it comes to a fat loss strategy, regardless of this information, is always going to be what is your energy in versus energy out? That's always going to be the first thing that I'm going to look at. And then from there, I'm going to say, okay, now what's what is affecting which this may be one of the things affecting the energy in and energy out part of the equation it'll affect the energy in from a hunger standpoint it'll affect the energy out from the genetic expression that we talked Mm -hmm. about with um you know the cascade of things and the genes that are being triggered and Mm -hmm. throughout this process but there are other things too like stress that will affect your energy in and energy out too Mm -hmm. right and there are other things like I don't know. What other examples can I give that are going to affect lack of sleep, right? Lack of sleep, stress and lack of sleep are two things that we know affect the energy inside of the equation, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not just, hey, if I eat late at night or I don't eat later in the day, I'm going to uh, I'm I'm not going to be as hungry and therefore I'm going to eat less because if you're stressed out and you're not getting Mm -hmm. adequate sleep, we know that those drive poor food choices because those affect your hunger and satiety hormones, too. So we have to look at these things collectively. And this is like to your point, Nicole, is that we can't just look at one study, take it out of context, Mm -hmm. out of like the the whole human body and all the things that are going on inside of your body and all the factors outside, both external and internal. We can't just look at this separate. We have to put it into the big picture of your life, how you move day to day and what Mm -hmm. you need to do to get where you're going and live a better life. Yeah. The age of the person. I mean, from an age standpoint, I will say this. I was thinking of this after I've been talking about the study with some clients when I was in my 20s and I worked at 5 a.m. I had like my first client in the day would be 5 a.m. and I would work to like 1, 1 and then I would go about my day and I worked like six, seven days a week and I could do that with my eyes closed. I, I was a rock star. Everything was fine. 
Then I hit my 30s and 5 a.m. was a lot harder. So then I shifted it to 6 a.m. And 6 a.m. was the first. And I could stay there pretty good through my 30s. And the the early morning in the wintertime, it's harder to get up because it's dark and it's cold. And I just didn't want to get up as early in the in the spring and summer. I could shoot out of bed at 5 a.m. and like not a thought in the world. I felt great. So you have seasons, you have age brackets. Then I hit my 40s. 6 a.m. is fucking brutal. <laughs> I will say it's so much harder. It's even hard in the spring and summer. I can f- feel that my body wants to sleep another hour. So I shift. I've shifted clients later to now. I start at 7 a.m. So you also have to pay attention to who you are. And as you change, your body changes, your body's rhythm changes. When I work out, I used to work out at 9 or 10 p.m. and then get up and work out and work at 5 a.m. Like I used to work out really late. All my friends would meet at the gym at 830 and we would crush a workout. <laughs> I can't even stay awake as Dorona Judo past 830 anymore because I might shifted my workouts now to early in the afternoon. So I think you also have to pay attention to your body as you get older. Things definitely Listen, change and evolve. I'll tell you this. I've been paying attention to my body forever and mm-hmm. the 20s, 30s doesn't matter. 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. were never a good thing for me. <laughs> yeah, but 7 see, that's the di- think of se- just look, the I still two do of six, us, I still right? do 6 a.m. and I've done 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. back when I worked at Equinox and they make you do those 5 a.m. floor shifts. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, fuck this place. But I, just, <laughs> it's not 5 a.m. is never a thing for me. 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. I do a couple of days a week. But it's I'm hard, right? Okay with that. But like, I mean, 6 a.m. I got to be in bed at 9 p.m. if I want to be up at 6 a. if I want to be up at 5, 4, 6. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's and some days like, you know, th- it's tough because Thursdays I have class and then I get home late and then I don't, you know. Well, so this is my whole wanna... point about all the things that change and shift at, for from your not just how old you are, but the what you're doing at that point in your life. So I think you also have to take into account like when I would do. The at when I was doing five a.m. and I was getting up at like three thirty to get ready to be in work by to leave by four thirty to get to work by five. No, no, no. you don't type of get, thing. You know, get out of here with the three thirty in the morning. Waking up at listen three thirty in the three thirty is when I used to get home from going. <laughs> out at night. I did so. that when I was very young. I, I did the, the the partying was very young in my time, but but the five a.m. like. I used to show up before my client and I was like super excited. I couldn't wait. Like I was such a dork. Nah, <laughs> I think me. about it. I was such a dork. I was you like can... waiting for them to come in to warm up and they would. But my my next part of the sentence is the client that would come in at 5 a.m. would either be the me like they'd meet me as well and be just as excited or my some of my poor clients that would try to do the 5 a.m. before work. Oh, my goodness. Getting them to try and work out. Jeez, they'd be dragging. And I'd be like, you are not a 5 a.m. client. We have to switch your time. Hold up. Hold up. This isn't going to work. Hold up. Hold up. My clients would tell me I'm not a 5 a.m. trainer. I'm showing up 10 minutes late at 5 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. No, I, I, the, the on time thing, I always am like, I'm a bit crazy about, but I'm just saying, like, I would see the reason why I say that about, depends on who you are type of situation is I would have clients that would show up for 5 a.m. and be like ready to go and like crushing a workout and they were in it. And then I would have clients that would show up and they could barely walk on the treadmill at 5 a.m. to warm up. So I, I, I saw that 
as a trainer early in the day, the different types of clients that I would have. The same thing at 5 p.m. I would go, if I went back for a second in shifts, which I did when I was a younger trainer, um, I would go back, you know, I'd do a morning chunk of trainers, go home for the afternoon, get my workout in and go back for evening chunk of clients. But I'd have the same thing on the other end. You have the clients that come in at five after work and they just are toast. They've had a whole day. They're too tired. They don't, they just want to get checked off and get the workouts done. And then you have the clients that would come in fired up from a whole day and like want to punch things and lift I'll weight say, and, listen, you know, I'll tell you this. Depends. This is me pushing up my research classes. Research says, mm -hmm. and uh, I enjoy it now because I have like clients in the morning, midday, and then I have clients later on mm -hmm. that you get the most optimal workouts in the middle of the day because you're not too tired from the day. Right. And you've had enough meals in you. Food. Yep. And you've had you ha your glycogen storage is full, which is your body's you know preferred source of fuel for your lifting. Mm -hmm. Right. That's just carbohydrates stored in your muscle is full. So glycogen is full. You're more hydrated. And research shows that your uh, your core body temperature is higher later in the day. That's not to say that you're not going to get an effective workout early in the morning, but you could miss me with that shit. I'd rather get the optimal workout midday. And, uh, you know, that's what but I have to say about that. There are people that can't do that. I mean, anybody that works an nine to five job cannot walk out at 12 or one and, or even three or four and get a workout in. So they have to do it at different times. Yeah, well, that's so, why that's why I live life on my terms. <laughs> you are very lucky to be able to do that. Michael. I am fortunate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate. I'm grateful. I wake up every morning and I acknowledge that I'm grateful. And I think that's something that I actually learned from you in mm -hmm. Boston. I remember I took a picture of uh we're like way off topic now, but okay. I took a uh, I posted something on Instagram about all the food in my fridge, in my freezer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. And you were like, you like you need to be grateful that, you know, yeah. you have an opportunity to have, you know, access to an abundance of food and be a bodybuilder and eat that many calories. Yeah, exactly. But um, that's it with that uh i think we're gonna do a video on this we're gonna do a reel on this so we're gonna present that on instagram too i'd love to get your feedback and your thoughts on this study and the current research on this topic so feel free to dm me any questions or thoughts that you have at eat right nutrition e-a-t-r-i-t-e nutrition and if you enjoyed this episode click subscribe give us five stars write a review share this with a friend and you'll hear us next week